We are here again. Each and every week, 65th episode, 65 weeks of doing great program in New York City. And I must say, today is a very beautiful, warm day. I was walking my dogs and thinking about old school memories, because that's what I do normally when it comes to Wednesdays. And sometimes I'm thinking about things that are future coming up in front. But this time I cleared the air with the sun in, in my hair and and my dog's pulling me around town looking for squirrels. I said, you know what? I got to think about some of the good times we had back in the golden era, the 90s and into the 2000s. And when I say that golden era, I say it so dramatic, the golden era of the 1990s. But on the grander scale, as I was talking to this gentleman on the side before we started to, you know, there was no digital cameras yet or digital phones when we were doing these things back then. And that's why it's so priceless when we get someone that actually has pictures and has memories to share of an era that was just so wonderful because it was just something that was beginning. Henceforth is why I asked our friend Pedro Mondesir from Toronto to come on to True House Stories which I'm going to bring up in a second. And he's responsible as a promoter and helping to create a scene in Toronto, very soulful house scene, bringing international DJs along with the Canadian DJs that supported the American house music sound and some of the Canadian guys who produced some great records that I also supported as a DJ as well. But for now, I will say, you know, I'm on a, Welcome to the stage. I hope he's ready. He's been getting, he's been in hair and makeup for an hour <laughs> and taking care of the lighting and all. We like to bring up to True House Stories, a friend of ours from the dance music community, Pedro Mondesir, Garage 416. Baby, what's up? Good to see you again. It's been a very, very, very long time. Yeah, so, so hair and makeup was keeping me busy. And he's been busy working on his brands and telling us all about <laughs> life. But as I, before I begin asking any questions, everybody around the world always likes to hear how those that are involved in the lockdown, been out of lockdown now, how you've handled COVID and did how it affected your area. Can you share some light on that for us, brother? Yes, yeah, uh, I, I can definitely do that. I'm getting a little bit of an echo on my side. I think it's good now, Lenny, so that's good. Check your Instagram. I actually added a request to join so we can stream live together as well. But uh, yeah, COVID, COVID was tough, right? So um, it, it hit our community very, very difficult. Uh, um, it was tough. Um, I'm up in Toronto, Canada. Um, we've been very, very strict with the health measures. Uh, we we continue to be very strict with health measures, and um, you know it was it was a one hundred percent complete shutdown, and it was a hundred percent shutdown for a very very long time in Toronto. So um, and um, yeah, so um, it was tough, but things started to reemerge just recently, so that's fantastic. Um, but we're still at a limited capacity, so we're only permitted twenty five percent capacity right now. 
which I still chose. Some, some promoters decided to step back and wait. Uh, I've chose to, to do a couple of events. And it's, you know what, it, it's been fantastic. And one of the things is that the party pops off right away because people are eager <laughs> to get back on the dance floor and hear good music and, and join people. So even though it's at a reduced capacity, we're still um, still blessed and still really happy to get people together. And, and that's important, to be honest. Um, you know, having the chance to have people, like in a yeah. church, gather. And, and these types Absolutely. of events become almost like church in a way. Yeah, a community is important. Um, gathering of, of people and souls and bodies and, and those that, you know, have common interests, it's, it's important, right? Um, we are social beings. And um, it, it, I think it's, it's part of our, our mental health, <laughs> uh, spiritual health, uh, to get people together. And uh, provided that it's safe and so forth, and I do respect that. And um, so really happy that things are starting to reemerge. And, and very soon in Toronto, uh, the rumor has it that we will be opening up soon to 100%. Our, our vaccination rates are very, very high. Uh, specifically in the province of Ontario, we're over 80% double vaxxed. So uh, very, very high percentage. And um, so that, that's a promising sign that things will be able to reopen closer to a normal state as possible. That's really cool. Can you check on your phone? You're getting an echo. I mean, you may have to put your volume down because I'm hearing an echo come back. Okay, no problem. On your, um... Yeah, yeah. Okay. That too. I get that too. Sorry about that. So I may I may disconnect from you. So mute it here. So ladies, again, you know, it's a pleasure having you on. And I wanted to start with, you know, how I ask everyone, how does music find you, Pedro, as a young kid? You know, there's always a starting point. We all didn't just come into this. Magically, we all find our way or it finds you. Can you share us? Take us through that journey. Well, if, if you want to actually start as a kid, I mean, I guess some of the early memories that I do have as, as a kid is um, a, a big influence was, first of all, my parents. Um, music was a, a big part of, of our upbringing. My, my mother is Spanish. My father is uh, St. Lucian. Uh, so it was not unusual as a little kid being dragged from event to event and uh, West Indian party to West Indian party as a kid. Um, and, and, you know, listening to like Calypso and, and soca music. And um, and it, it was just part of our, our lives and, and social um, um, environments. Uh, as I got a little bit older, my brothers who are older than me, they're nine years older. I have one brother nine years older and another brother 10 years older. My brother Carlos is 10 years older, uh, 11 years older, sorry. Um, they were they were big into music and buying records. I mean, that's that's all there was back then is, is, is records. And um, as the little brother, they always said, don't go in my room and don't don't touch my stuff and don't touch my records. But of course, I'm not listening to that. Right. So I'm going in and I'm shuffling through very daintily when they're not home is I actually sneaked in and went through all the records and played it. And it was a lot of old rock music, uh, like Rolling Stones, Joe Cocker, like things like Supertramp, um, 
to like new wave stuff, um, to like the kinks and like some punk stuff and Clash, Big Audio Dynamite, and like Kate Bush, who still is one of my favorite artists up to today. Um, and and just and just really, it was, I was alone in my brother's room. I felt I felt like I'm doing something wrong, and just listening to music. And that really that really impacted me. And as I got older into my teen teen years, um, my oldest brother Carlos said, "Hey, listen, I know you're underage, but listen, I want to take you to this party." And I was really you know loved going down in the core of the city. I, I grew up, I was born and raised, and lived all my life in Toronto. But you know, he just kind of said, "Okay, let's go, and I can get you into some of these basically these after hour parties." which was prevalent in Toronto at the time, because our last call at that time was 1 a.m. It's since changed, but it was 1 a.m. So there was a, a large culture of after-hours parties because people were still interested in partying afterwards, and they were straight up, like, speakeasy styles, like, slit in the door, or what are you doing? Like, what do you want? Like, it was really on the down low back in, like, the late 80s, early 90s. and um, and I, I remember it was a very, it was one particular party. It was called Cola in, in Toronto. And uh, we went there and I, when it opened the door, and, and let me get, let me get back to, because some of the young, younger viewers may not appreciate this, that uh, for, there was no Facebook, there was no Instagram, there was no social media. There was no way to be able to experience something before it actually happened. So, um, which was, I think part of the magic back then. So I had, there was no concept of what to expect. So, and when they opened the door and I saw, you know, the host host uh, was there and it was, it was a drag queen, which was amazing for me to see at that time. And it was, it was so cool and just dressed up like from head to toe, interesting. And then opening up to the, to the music that I felt in my chest and, and the lights and the sound and the diversity of the crowd. There were straight people, gay people, white people, black people, Asian people, and just a whole different mashing, mishmashing of people. And I felt like Alice going through the rabbit hole at that point. And, um, and for me, that was a very defining time of my, my teenage years and my late teenage years. And from then on, um, it, it, it took a hold of me, and it's never let go <laughs> since then. So that's that's basically a little snippet of you know some of the diverse influences as as, as a kid um, going into my teenage years, and kind of how I stumbled into this. But still, big influences, you know, from my parents and of course my older brothers, most definitely. So your brothers definitely the ones that put the bug on you. Uh, now, mind you, definitely. mind yeah, you, back in those days, you talk with your friends too. You know that you were going to school with and stuff. I guess those would be the ones and be like, "Yo, you know what these parties?" Because everybody wanted to meet somebody. That was another thing of what the push was to go out back then. You know, let's yeah. Be fair. I, was, I was I was very fortunate that my brother Carlos was very well uh, immersed in the scene then, and um, and so I, I had an advantage of you know, being his little brother, right? Uh, being his baby brother at that point. So I, I had that privilege of getting to know which parties there were. 
Um, but, you know, back then, once again, no social media. This is where, and that was the very first party they said, what's your name? What's your phone number? And we're going to add you on our, bo- on our book and we'll invite you to other parties. You know, this is, this is how I got influenced. And this is what I was promoting back in the day. And I'm sure we'll get in there. It's just how promoters used to hustle. They just so wait, wait, wait. So we, the, wait, so, you, so you would get a, a mailer at the house, right? A, a, come a postcard of a party coming up, right? Cause that's how I remember you used to get members. Actually, I would actually get a phone call and I was living with my parents. I'd get a phone call at my parents' home. And once again, we had no answering machines. And I would have my father say, um, in his in his deep, deep voice saying, somebody called. And I said, Oh, okay, who called? Somebody called to invite you to some party. And I was like, What did they say? Where was it? What's going on? Give me he goes, I don't know, some party. And I'm going, that's no good. That's no good. Right? I, 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 have, I have no, I, I don't have Google. I can't look this up. Um, and I was the first of my friends that got immersed in the scene because I was so young. Um, that I, I, I was the one that was telling my friends, hey, listen, you got you to gotta check out this party. Um, so I, I'd call my brother and find out, listen, I got this call. First of all, I was just so privileged I got this call. And um, I got an invitation to go to this event. Please find out what it is or where it's from. And inevitably, he, he would do that and uh, pass me the information. And, um, you know, and, and I just, it, it was, I got, it was like crack. I got, I got a taste of it and I got hooked. And I was from then on in, I was like party to party and coming home at six in the morning and partying all night long. And it, it was an amazing experience back then. Amazing. Do you remember the DJs that were around at that time up in that area that were making the impact with everybody, like the main players? Oh, I, I could definitely speak. Those that really influenced me um, back in the day, Dino and Terry, most definitely. They also ran a label called Crash Records back in the day. Um, still DJing up to today. They, they just DJed a party last week. Um, they were a huge influence. Uh, Peter and Tyrone, it was back then it was Peter, Tyrone, and Shams, but um, huge influence as well. They did a lot of the after-hours parties. Um, big, big influence for me. And, and uh, Peter and Tyrone also ran label 83 West. Um, for So people out there may have some of their records. Um, but uh, other artists by the name of Mitch Winthrop, Big influence, uh, Dave Campbell, who I still work with today, at another one of my events called Break for Love, and as well as a summer patio party I do called uh, Hot Stuff for Sundays. Um, huge influence as well. Um, so many, um, you know, but I mean, those, those for me personally were the most influential ones. There's other DJs called D-Nice and um, even back in the day, Tricky Morera, the SoundQuest crew, There's there were so many excellent DJs back then. And many of them are still around today DJing today as well, which is amazing. Yeah, it is pretty amazing that the career can still keep you going generation and decades later, you know? it's uh, Absolutely, yeah. Because there was a time... They were just kids when they started. That's right. There was a time when, you know, a lot of us came up and we would call them the first generation DJs in the seventies were gone, gone. They either got married, died of 
drug overdoses, HIV, a lot of things. And then there was this big, like, void in between. You know, the 80s came and things were kind of happening, but there was no, like, the disco era. Then later on, we'll talk about where house music starts for you, of course. Mm-hmm. But during that time you were going out, do you remember the style of music that was being played at these venues by these DJs? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, so house music was definitely being played at, at those parties. Now, that, that was when house was, you know, really starting out, you know, um, and, and, and when you look at production and, and those producers out there, you know, it wasn't much more than a little keyboard and <laughs> a few tracks back then. But um, uh, definitely house music, but it was a lot more diverse uh, musically there. Uh, but that after I was seeing a lot of house music, uh, a lot of that kind of rare groove, some, some of the disco tracks, um, uh, the acid jazz tracks, even some from back in the day. But there was it was it was very different than it is now because it wasn't so much pigeonholed as one style of music. It was just dance music, all forms of dance music being played. So if if it was, if you're able to dance to it, what, um, you know, like a, a, an R&B kind of track, a, a house music track, a hip hop track, whatever it may be, and if people can groove and dance to it, it was it was played, and and that's why even up to today, we have different uh, brand parties, and as it, even though I have a strong affinity to house music. Our, our branded parties play more than just house music because I, I don't like saying I'm just a house music lover. I'm a music lover. I listen to all forms of music. Um, and um, and I, I think that's really helped me because that's also exposed me to so many different scenes within Toronto. And then when I was able to travel, going to New York, Miami, where uh, we hung out <laughs> in Miami together um, and, and, you know, and, and to Europe and so forth. And then experiencing these different scenes, it, it, it's for me, you know, the diversity of music and being able to groove to music, um, regardless of the genre, is something I truly appreciate. And that's important because you remember, everyone, he's a promoter. He has to see past, you know, there's a difference between the DJ and the promoter, you know, and remember now he's finding his way amongst what he's seeing around him from different parties, because that's what happens? It's artistically your mind is like a tape recorder. It's seeing everything. It's you know you don't. I don't. Okay, you're going out in those days. Did you really know that you wanted to do this thing? You know, promote and, and throw these type of parties, or you were just finding you know what this was about? Because a lot of times people don't really know they're getting into this yet. You know, there was there was no there was no intention of becoming a promoter at all the uh, zero intention of it at all i was just there as a pure fan a pure music lover people that someone on the dance floor um and and that was it i, I was always blessed to have a very strong social network ever since i was a very young age so i've always had a, an amazing group of friends around me and um and I was kind of the, that guy that would be able to get people t- together in a social environment. I mean, the very first pers- uh, party I did, um, and this had nothing to do with basic cuisine I had, was just uh, an 18th birthday party where 
I actually did a flyer and had people down and actually rented a little hall, but I didn't think about it as promoting. I just wanted to get people together as a, as a party. And then it, it just, it was just hundreds of people showed up, hundreds of 18 year old kids showed up where, you know, it was, it was overwhelming um, at that point, but I was like, Hey, that was fun. And just parked it from there. But um no, so to, to answer your, your question initially, it had nothing to do with promoting. It had nothing to say, oh, I think I can get into that or I can do something. I was, I was just there having fun uh, um, and just grooving like everybody else was on the dance floor. So being delivered to the crowd was a massive influence to me. And what was that exposure on that, that outlet was that DJ behind those ones and twos. Right, um, everybody so, was playing, and don't forget everybody, everybody was playing vinyl records still. Wasn't digital yet. Vinyl, yeah. Nothing digital, no. There, there was no digital, it was purely analog, right? It was all, it was all vinyl back then. So, uh, and I still have an affinity to vinyl today. I still play every Friday night on Twitch. I, I just, just do vinyl sets just because, um, once again, I, I have an attachment to vinyl. I love, I love the tangibility of it. <laughs> Yeah, no, I know. And there's a nostalgia to it as well now. You know, it's like now it's becoming the in thing again the last couple of years. Like, oh, you know, that uh, the DJ's playing an all vinyl set. <gasps> so there's. <laughs> yeah. Wait, wait, wait. <gasps> no sync button? <gasps> what? No, no <laughs> pre mix thing? No. You know, it's now it's like all of a sudden it's avant garde. The guy's playing. Oh, he's playing. Vinyl records this week. Oh, very nice. That was normal back then to play a whole night with vinyl. It wasn't normal. It was there was no other medium. That that was that was it. You know, so you have to go to the record store, get those records, and in Toronto, it was played a record and tracks, and there's many other amazing record stores back then, and you'd have to pick up that vinyl, right? And and there were the, those guys there uh, from earlier on, like the, like the DJs I mentioned, like the Dino and Terry's, like the Peter Tyrones and Shams. That you know, they got they got that music before the general public did, and and uh, they would break it on the dance floor. And um, and I just remember, you know, so many times where I just stopped and said, "What the hell is this? This is just amazing," you know, because the sound was was very new at the time, and um, and um, yeah. It's, 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 it made a real effect on me. It really affected me in a great way. Yeah, well, I know that because I worked with you. And I know I know you taste yeah. the music and I know you taste the DJs. I know that you like the underground house sound. I provided, of course, I know you do other sounds, but I do mm -hmm. know you like the underground soulful house thing that was prevalent at that time. Very much so. Okay, so... Take us to your first ever party that you put out, you know, because we want to hear that, what it's like, the stress of preparing to do this for the first time, what that must have been like for you. Well, I'll have to bring my brother into it because he he got he was older than I was. So he got he got pulled into it uh, before I got pulled into it. And just for the sake that we're joined by the hip, we know we, we did it together. So he was initially invited to host an event at um, a legendary club in downtown Toronto called Elma Combo. Elma Combo was a live venue. Um, um, big rock and roll stars have performed. The Rolling Stones have performed there. Huge stars have performed there. And it was a Sunday 
party where they said, hey, let's let's do this kind of live and DJ combo. Back then was, wow, you're combining two different elements of DJing and, and performing live. That That's, you know, that's very different. <laughs> Today, it's, it's, it's not unusual. But back then, you know, we're going back to 95 is, you know, it, it was different. So that was called Soul Sundays. And um, we had zero experience <laughs> in um, doing anything live, knowing anything technically. Um, but they had an in-house booker there. And he said, you know, don't worry. I'll work with me and we'll teach you. We just, uh, we kind of appreciate that you're kind of this in this different kind of scene. And we just really appreciate you know, that you like certain styles of music. And we think we could really benefit from that. So we did it. Um, how was it? Well, let, let's put it this way. So it was in the middle of June and it was scorching hot. It was an upstairs venue with very little ventilation. <laughs> it fell on Father's Day, which we didn't have the foresight of planning very well. And so... Was it the most memorable event? No, because it was hot. It was uncomfortable. It was Father's Day, so not all the people. That, that wasn't a wise thing to to launch their first party on a Father's Day, and people came out. But I'm going, oh my god, it was the most stressful thing. And I just remember being there. I'm going, you don't know what's going on. You don't know how to manage things. You don't know how to organize things. And it was uh, initiation by fire, because it, you know there wasn't a lot that you can learn from or see or experience because it's not like I can go and learn from a lot of other things because back then there wasn't a lot to choose from or to be exposed to in Toronto to be able to learn. There were some big notorious, like not notorious, infamous nightclubs that were just amazing. But I mean, this this was something different than just doing a, uh, uh, like a, a nightclub kind of event. This was more of like a live venue slash DJ kind of uh, event. So that, that was the very, very first one that we did under that hot stepper, uh, which is the, the whole umbrella company's hot stepper productions under the hot stepper productions banner. And um, <laughs> we learned a lot from there and when we grew a lot from there, but that, that was the very first one. So would we have done it that way again? Definitely not. We'd have definitely started different, but uh, hindsight is 2020. You learn, you live and learn. Well, you don't know that until you do it to know, to say, I, I will never do that again because you know, you could have had opposite, no, opposite no. situation. You don't know what you don't know. Even yeah. though it was scorching hot, you could have impacted the rafters, burning the place down. And you'd have been like, well, we went against all the odds. And now we wound up having a phenomenal night, you know? Yeah. And it wasn't, it wasn't a bad night. It was a fun night. And it was a great gathering of, of friends. But I mean, I don't think it was as expected. And, and believe me, there was some disco sweat coming down from the rafters just because the humidity was just intolerable, if you can imagine. So it was, uh, it was, it was. Uh, we look back about on it now and kind of laugh, but it, it was more at, at that time. I think it was more stressful than anything else. Um, but um, you know, we made the best from it, and we kind of, you know, you really had to earn your stripes back then. It was big it, time. It wasn't easy. Yeah. Big time. It was it was tough. It was a tough. It was a tough. Now the clubs up there in Toronto have the same, the same like here and down. You know, on our part of 
America, you know, United States. In New York, for example, we have a lot of places that want bar guarantees to be able to um, give the, the promoter to take over the room, but also in the situation that you had to have a a certain amount of money coming to that bar to cover your expenses. Was that is that the same up there? Uh, yeah, very much so. Uh, now, I am I privileged to the fact that I happen to have some positive relationships with some venue owners, and that we have a well-established uh, following where uh, the risk is not as great for them. So um, that doesn't apply often for myself individually, but that's very, very common. And because um, the way they look at it, and, and I, I'm, I've been on the other side, I appreciate it. That's the business side of it. And uh, but um, so yeah, if you're if you're new and you're you're upcoming, you know, you you better have some dollars ready to be able to to you know back yourself up with, you know. So it, it's tougher. It's just I just have that privilege. It's that we've been around this long and we kind of have a reputation. And um, I'm, I'm fortunate to say that we don't actually have a lot of parties that don't turn out well. So back to your original part, if I remember correctly, you were talking about when you went out, you'd have door personality come up to you and say, can I have your details? So in the beginning, I'm presuming that you would have to start to have people yeah. gather mailing lists from your patrons. How do you go and find patrons to come to your clubs? You know, people don't really know that nowadays. They, they know it from a Facebook ad going out. But back then, things were word of mouth, hand to foot. You know, there's a lot of legwork that went in. You know, it's just not just a party. You got a lot of things behind the scenes. Media, yeah, anger. You know, in the sense you have to, you know, really work to make that party work for those seven or ten hours that you're putting that party on it's months of if yeah. it's, you know it's months of planning yeah, it, it, yeah especially back then so yeah like so, so you, you you touched on it so um learn garage full and six was a great experience for me because that really moved our, our promotion to another level where I started booking international layouts. And, and then, you know, there's a lot of people don't see the behind the scenes and, and the amount of work, like in work permits and all that processing. But before we even got there, you got to make sure you get the following. So yeah, it's, it's literally capturing information. This is before the social media um, age that we live in today. So it's literally, give me your name, Give me your phone number. You know, I will invite you because things were also back then a lot more exclusive. So as today, if you have something you want to blast it out to as many people that I can get exposed to, then it was it was very much more exclusive and it was very cool to be in the know. Um, so it was very important to have tips, right, that, that are coming in that can short and influence but getting those phone numbers, because it's great to have a group of your, your friends and, and their friends, but to get a, a substantial size party, you often need a lot more than just uh, a good group of a few friends that are coming out there. And, and that's where the legwork and the grind comes in and where people don't see. It's like 
literally pounding the pavement with flyers, going to other parties that, you know, that are like parties and standing there at the end of the night saying, come to my party, come to my party. People take a flyer, chuck it away. I'm going to hand out a thousand flyers. But you know what? If I get 10%, 5%, 10%, that's a win, you know? And then calling people on the weekends saying, hey, I'm so-and-so, I'm, the, I'm, I'm Pedro, I'm calling from, you know, um, Hot Supper Productions, and I'm calling to invite you to come down to my party. Here's the details. It's at this venue. Here's the cover charge. Bring some friends down. And I think what the difference is then... Please search for part two of this podcast on the platform you're watching or listening to. And please do not forget to follow us.